Hey, welcome to Wayfair. This is Aaron. This season, we're listening to several writers in our writers group at Central. From personal narratives to short stories and poetry, we've got a bit of everything. And each week, we'll hear from a writer, then we'll talk with them a little bit about their inspiration and their process. This week, we're talking with Jody Cabell. Jody's a teacher at Henry Clay High School. She's been at Central for a long time. She's a deacon, and she's also in our writers group. She even manages to coax classrooms of students to church on Sunday morning. We're still not sure if it was just for her birthday or if extra credit was involved as well. I feel like Jody's writing is always an invitation. She coaxes you into a scene, invites you to sit for a while and see what unfolds. And there, in ordinary places, we find beauty and wonder and a grace that invites us to be all in. So we'll start with that. Okay. Here's Jody. um, I'm a high school teacher, and I am a wannabe writer. Sometimes I feel more proficient at it than others, and I'm a longtime member of of Central Baptist. I'm a deacon here, and um, I have enjoyed all of the writing things that have been made available to me through uh, Central Baptist, the writers group, as well as being able to write for Advent devotions and being able to write prayers. I really have enjoyed that, so I was happy happy to, um, to write something for this Lenten journey that we're on together as a church. Yeah. I was thinking about when you approached me and said, well, how do you feel about writing something for the Lenten podcast? I, I remember going back and thinking about one of the, the journeys for this Lenten season, uh, maybe for all of us, but certainly for me, is the idea of space and sacred space and what that means. And for me, it meant kind of like, like a Three things, I guess. Um, where do I find peace? Where do I find joy? And where do I find community? And I find those things lots of places, individually especially. There, I can name a dozen places that are peaceful for me. I can name a dozen times that I experience happiness or joy on a regular basis. Um, I can to name another dozen places where I feel like I'm in community. Um but w- the place that most consistently all three of those things come together for me is at a baseball park. Mm. And which is funny because, like I said, don't coach, don't play, and don't know much about it other than you're supposed to throw strikes and hit the ball. And <laughs> um, uh, But it's the one place where I kind of experience all three of those things. And it hasn't ever mattered what park I've been at. And because I have students that I try to keep in contact with, um, the, the ones that play baseball, I have been to some parks in the middle of nowhere, Indiana and nowhere, Illinois and nowhere, Tennessee, uh, to watch baseball. And, um, I still find that sense of community in the fans, you know, when you're wearing their colors and you're sitting on their side and, um, and, and there's just a joy in that, in that sport that that I that I really like. There's a lot of celebration in baseball, probably because you fail so often that right. when there is success, you really celebrate. Um and and if you've never been to a baseball park, I would encourage anybody to go because I think there is a sense of peace about being outside and mm. you know, just like letting things happen because you can't hurry. There's no clock in baseball. Mm. So yeah. it just happens. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know what? With that, that's a good intro. So let's just get right into it. You want to go ahead and read it? Sure. Yeah, Yeah, I can read it. Um, uh, I uh, began to write about this idea of sacred space and, and where I find God. 
it really is very simple. I feel closest to God when I'm at a baseball game. Any baseball game, really, but the games played on the field of the high school where I teach are where I feel His presence the most. Maybe because it's the most familiar field, or maybe because it is at this field that I have my very own spot, kind of like reserved pew space. But to be honest, I have found God at every field, and miraculously I find Him every single time I am at a baseball game. Typing that, and now saying it out loud on a podcast, I'm worried that it sounds like I'm a wacko at best, or kind of smug and self-righteous, holier-than-thou-I-know-God-better-than-you Christian at worst. I am hopeful that neither of these are accurate descriptions of what I experience. Me finding God and feeling close to God at a baseball game are very different than God cozying up and whispering the wisdom of ages in my ear or instructing me to sell my possessions and live in an ashram in the mountains of Tibet. This usually happens at some point in the game, uh, when I, especially when I attend high school games, and where they only play seven innings, it doesn't really happen at a seven-inning stretch. I confess I have never received any type of direct instruction from God while munching popcorn or chastising the umpire for a strike zone that really is far too narrow. I find God in the long silences that are baseball. In the stillness I feel when I hold my breath and focus on the batter, silently willing him to hit a long line drive to bring a runner that otherwise would remain stranded on second to home. I find God in the camaraderie in the stands with fans I do not always know when we cheer for a particularly great play or an impressive at bat. I find God in the joy of the players as they celebrate the remarkable accomplishment of a teammate or a stunning victory. But I also find God in the many defeats that make up a baseball game. In baseball, when you fail, you have an audience, and failing in front of your community takes a courage that I do not possess but certainly admire. I have confessed before my knowledge of the Bible is rudimentary at best, and so I look for the simple and clear messages and lessons that are easy to digest. And to me, the Bible has always been clear on a couple of things. First, if you want to please and love God, you have to love your neighbor, welcome the stranger, and be God's arms in the world. And second, you have to have courage and do not be afraid. Both of those directives are tough ones, but that second one, that requires for me at least, lots of inspiration, mostly because I happen to be a gold card carrying member of the Scaredy Cat Club, and baseball helps. I watch players of all ages, t-ball to pros, take a deep breath and face something difficult alone, hitting a ball, catching a ball, throwing a ball accurately, all those must be performed alone. And baseball is a game of failure. You are having a great season if you only miss the ball seven out of 10 times. When is failing 70% of the time a victory? It takes a certain kind of courage to play a game where failure is statistically inevitable the majority of the time. And I am inspired each time a player fails and tries again. During this Lenten season, I have been thinking a lot about space, in particular, sacred space, spots in my world where I let my mind go quiet, become very focused, and live in the moment. I'm not good at any of those things. I am social to a fault in that I feel the need to fill space with chatter. My mind runs constantly, and I am always focused on the what next parts of my days, weeks, and even my years. 
I also think sacred space can be the places where you find yourself in community like God intended. Being in a group without competing, withholding judgment, and being accepting. And when I settle myself into the bleachers, when I stand with the crowd for the playing of the national anthem, when I don my lucky halfway to St. Patrick's Day green white socks ball cap, and I thank God for a glorious day, for the people who hang on to the innocence and joy of childhood while playing this sport, I am unwittingly preparing myself for a couple hours of meditation. At a baseball game, I feel no need to chat up the folks sitting next to me. At a baseball game, the ritual of solemnly putting the perfect amount of mustard on my hot dog is akin to lighting a candle at a prayer table, which just so happens to be a baseball diamond for me. That diamond is filled with people I love and strangers alike, players with all levels of talent, and the stands are my community, and we are unified by common purpose, sometimes hushed in awe, and sometimes we are on our feet in the pure exhibition of joy and celebration. It is no wonder I find God at the baseball field, because I believe God is passionately engaged in drawing us to the fullness of life. The apex of that, for me anyway, is to be found watching a ball game. So my Lenten wish is this. I hope that everyone can find their sacred space, and I hope they get to meet God there every single time. That's gorgeous, Jody. Thank you. Thank it's, you so much. You're that welcome. Is beautiful. It was fun to write. It was a, it was an it was easier to write than I anticipated. Really? So, yeah. yeah. I think because I really do love baseball, which doesn't translate to me being very good at anything like baseball, <laughs> but I really do love the game. I love I just I love all of it. I think it's the perfect community. It's peaceful, it's joyous, and it's being part of something. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and the the thought that it's that it's struggle too, right? That it's it's frustration and failure all mixed Takes in. Takes a there. lot of courage. Yeah, it yeah, really does. Yeah, um, I am I am most glad to hear you talk about mustard on a hot dog <laughs> because I am concerned when some people uh, uh, who will re- remain nameless um, yes. use ketchup on hot dogs, which is a tra- tragedy. It's a travesty. It, it is. is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a travesty akin to something I can't explain. It, it is. It's wrong. It, it's wrong. It's right. That is just wrong. Yeah. Be I'm a progressive, the, but there's few things that I will say are wrong. That's right. And one of them, I know. And, I, we're, and being from Chicago, where you're supposed to put everything on your hot dog, no, it is mustard only. It is. Yes. That's good Yes, to know. it is. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I love, um, there's so many things I love about that. There was one part, oh, I can feel the feelings and I can see the pictures in my head, but it was about meeting, meeting God in that, in that space. That like he, on the last he's passionately page. engaged in drawing us. That's what it was. Yeah. Into the fullness of life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And you said it wasn't deep, you know. That's, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's deep I, stuff. It is, and I think it's really contrite. I don't, and this is, sounds crazy because I, I think God just wants us to experience joy. I'm not one of those people who thinks God is a baseball fan. Our head coach is completely convinced that God only loves baseball, and that's why it's America's <laughs> sport. But I think that what God loves is us finding joy and community. And for me, 
as crazy as it is, it happens on a baseball field. And again, it's not like I have ever played competitive baseball of any kind at all. And if I did, it would that also would be a travesty, much like <laughs> ketchup on a hot dog. So, yeah, I really had not thought how much before that um, that idea and the uh, baseball could be a metaphor for <laughs> life and <in> God. <laughs> <laughs> then you haven't spent enough time at a baseball game. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. You can you can't spend and there's and you can find baseball anywhere. Like if you're if you're not opposed to really bad baseball, you can watch baseball all the time. Yeah, pretty much. You know, from T ball to professional baseball. So yeah. it's pretty easy to catch well, a game. And it's that season now. So yes. yeah. Yeah. Jake plays, so we're gonna be at the field a lot. Yeah. So, and yeah. and you're gonna see some really bad baseball. <laughs> just prepare yourself. But that's part of the fun, I think, is kinda like being yeah, just kinda being in it together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it does develop a community of, mm-hmm. of folks, you know. Oh and yeah. This the, the and I wonder, too, if some of that, I hadn't really thought about this, um, about uh, baseball players really putting themselves out there, being alone. I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about that before. And, I, and I, I've loved baseball for a long time, longer certainly than I've been a teacher. Um, but, but being a teacher and knowing the students when I go to see them play any sport, they love to, for teachers to go, their teachers to go watch them perform um, in anything, whether it's band or chorus or drama. Um, but when I go um, to watch my athletes, because there is such a sense of success and failure in sports, probably too much of a sense of success and, and failure, um, I think about them when they are alone. Like, and no sport really, to me, is done as individually it's a team sport, certainly, but it's an individual sport in that you are, whatever it is you are doing, it is on you to perform that. Like when you're in the batter's box, it's just you and yeah. and the other guy, you know, who's throwing the ball, he's got to throw that ball. And I just, it's a, it's a, there's a level of um, feeling like it's kind of just you that I think I probably picked up on only because I knew the kids who were playing so much. Mm. And, and I've, I've talked to them about it and asked them, What's, you know, what's, what's going through your mind? And they talk about this running conversation that they're having with themselves about what to do next. And it's been, it's been a, it, it's a cerebral sport. Yeah. And I kind of appreciate that, that it's a, I always say it's a thinking man's game. Not that other sports aren't, but yeah. you know, I feel like I'm treading on dangerous ground here <laughs> in the holy grail of basketball that I, that we live in. So. Oh yeah, but there's there's so much time which I did I being a, a sports idiot in every way, you know, have been introduced to this by by Jake, you know, as he plays. And not until I sat and watched them did I realize just how much time there is for you to psych yourself out. The long silences of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've yeah. got everybody's trying you're somebody the pitcher's trying to psych you out. You're trying to psych the pitcher out. And everybody then- on the field's trying to <laughs> do their part and yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Spoken as a complete baseball novice, I don't right. know, but right. you know, uh, yeah. but but yeah, there is there's so much space and time there for that to happen. Mm-hmm. It really is. It really is an interesting, uh, an interesting sport. 
that I'm horrible at. But right, it's, right. It's, and I feel like I could probably, if I had been um, compelled to follow golf or, uh, you know, basketball in the way that I that I have fallen in love with baseball, that I would probably find that in those sports as well. Just for me, growing up in the South Side of Chicago and Gary, Indiana, it was yeah. it was it was baseball. So, yeah. yeah, it does feel a little more zen though than mm-hmm. some of the other. And I think other part sports. of it is just how beautiful it is it's spring and it's kind of the new world and you know everything's possible yeah i kind of like that idea of it of Mm -hmm. when it starts when this season starts yeah another interesting thing is you were talking about your students and kind of getting involved in it through their uh through their their eyes is really this this um there's a lot of empathy in there in this for you that you're really seeing this through it feels like through the eyes of the players as well, like you're really engaging in that community. What what do you think drew you in like that? Um, I I think that's a great, that's an interesting question. Probably uh, I go back to the reference I make that I'm a big giant scaredy cat. And I really am. I don't, putting, putting yourself out there um, is an incredible act of courage. And to do it, at the most vulnerable age, you can be, you know, 14 mm. through through 18 or 19, um, I think is, is just an incredible act of courage that I don't, I think one of the reasons that I was not an athlete or not, even though I love sports, was I wasn't about to make myself look foolish in front of a crowd of people. And that certainly would have happened if I had picked up a sport. And, um, and so I think that there's an incredible bravery that I admire. Mm. And, and in those students. So I'm always, I'm a little bit partial to student athletes. Um, but mostly because I think of the courage it takes to, to, to fail. And in baseball, you are going to fail. It's just, it's a numbers game. And it's, it's amazing to me yeah. statistically. Mm. What failure? It's, it's epic. Yeah. <laughs> the failure. Yeah. You're having a good year when you only miss the ball seven out of 10 times. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that is. We don't yeah. think about that right. and what it, what right. what it takes mentally to be able to get past that. Right, especially in in a, in our culture today, where we yeah you know, we are a success driven culture, and so yeah, yeah, I think it's and I think I just really admire that in my kids, and I think that they're braver than they think they are. Mm. Yeah, and I like that. It sounds like they like in you. They find a find great encouragement too in that. I mean to to know that somebody is there to have a teacher come to watch well, them. They laugh be at me because I really only have two pieces of advice, and it is <laughs> hit the ball, and then if you're pitching, it's throw strikes. And I have been told that you they can hear that almost anywhere on a field. And I have a student who pitched at UK, and he said, "Ms. Cabell, I can hear you even at UK." And, uh, and I have a student who pitches for the Dodgers, and I'm going to find out hopefully in the next couple summers whether he can hear it at Dodger Stadium. So throw oh, that's strikes, awesome. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. but hit the ball because I feel like if you do those two things, you got a really good shot at winning a ball game. So that and that is the sum total of my knowledge of the game. You need to throw <laughs> strikes if you're pitching, and you need to hit the ball if you're batting. <laughs> Everything else will just, I guess it'll all just work out. So, Well, at least now I know what to say. Games, there you go. You know? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
Sometimes I say like, good eye, and I don't know what I'm saying, but I just say it. You just say it. Right, right. Oh, and there's so many great, that's the other kind of great thing about baseball. It has its own language, and I don't know what any of it means, but they'll say things like ducks on a pond, and I don't know what that means, but okay, I can yell that too. I haven't heard that one. Good good cut. That's like a good good swing. swing. Ducks on a pond means you got runners on bases. But I really, what I can't figure out is, are you telling the, are you telling the, the guys in the field that they've got runners on? Or are you telling the batter? And then my other question is, is, do they really not know that? Like, right. you know, I mean, but I also think they probably know that they should hit the ball and throw strikes. So I shouldn't judge what anybody else is Right. Saying. But still, yeah. you know, yeah. It, it, people, it, it helps us feel better to remind them sometimes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just in case. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your writing a little bit. What 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 got you into into writing? Probably being a chicken and not will being willing to say anything out loud. Although I talk all the time, I don't really say anything of great importance. So I thought if I have something that might be controversial or might be um, I'm at risk embarrassment by saying it out loud, I can write it. So I kind of started mm. writing first, mostly for myself, and then. Um, I really did. I I was late to the writers group here at Central Baptist, as you know. I had started several um, months before I got brave enough to come, and then it's such a supportive group. I really have enjoyed it and embraced it. And um, I had started a writing class at the Carnegie Center, and then they actually wanted me to share what I wrote. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so I had started and stopped a couple times uh, with a writers group, and this was the one that I just. I think it's kind of like it just you know if it, it's like picking a college or buying a house you know if it feels right yeah and it it really did feel right and boy do we have some talented writers oh yeah and and even though I feel like everybody in that class is a better writer than I am it's still it's fun to share because it's such a supportive group so that has probably been the thing that has kept me writing is the support of everybody in the group so thank you for that. Well, hey, yeah, you know, I the... just I just get to be a part of it, mm-hmm. and and it's wonderful each time to hear such a variety of, and that's the that's the beautiful thing is that whenever we come together, um, I mean, we can, you know, as whenever you put yourself out there, there's always this, you know, I'm comparing myself. Was mine as good as this or that? But it's all so different and so beautiful in its own right that it kind of strips away that need to compare as much, you know. I, I feel like I think what I realized was that for the first time, the risk was worth it. Like the mm. risk of sharing was worth it because of of all of the different types of writing that people had. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was so glad I came. Every time I come, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I came. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and glad that I shared and glad that I got to hear, More, mostly glad that I got to hear. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's so in, in a lot of ways, it feels like that same idea of baseball. There's a lot of risk in that too. Yes putting yourself out there and uh and giving of yourself something that you you work on and goodness you know yeah doing it in the public eye I think I I got to watch the student that I referred to pitched his first game on Sunday at Dodger Stadium and the day before had been bobblehead doll day for him and I texted him and said I hope you think I'm I hope you don't think I'm not going to make fun of you for having a bobblehead. And uh, then he told me, he said, I'm not pitching today. I'm pitching tomorrow. And I w- got to watch him pitch. We we got the baseball channel and we were excited. And um, he had a horrible, horrible outing. 
Hmm. And everybody in the state of Kentucky was watching because he's a local kid. And everybody in Tennessee was watching because he threw at Vanderbilt. And everybody in California was watching, you know. And yeah. I thought to myself, he had a real bad day at work, but he did it in front of millions of people. Yeah. And that takes a, a bravery and a courage that hmm. that I don't possess for sure. And I just I think that that's an amazing quality. And I think that for me that that sport enhances that more than anything else I've watched. Although I think you could argue that it happens at a free throw line or happens at a at a hole in golf yeah. as well. But for me it's baseball. Probably because it happens in the spring. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. That thought gives me some some encouragement, some hope to you know what? Why not try that? Right. Why not experiment with that? Why not go for it and fail big? You know, uh, because what's what's it going to hurt? You know, and that really does. I think we're I know we're reading Brene Brown and that really that really does kind of embrace her vulnerability and mm. failing greatly. Man in the Arena poem by Teddy Roosevelt that she references all the time. Yeah. You know, that the, the person who of merit is the one who's tried, even if they failed. Yeah. So get out there and go for it, Yeah, you know, yeah, and be in the moment and enjoy it. Mm. Well, let's talk just a little bit about your teaching, too. Do you want sure. to tell us, like, uh, how long have you been teaching? Where do you teach and all that stuff? Oh, sure. Uh, I'm, I uh, am a teacher at Henry Clay High School. I teach government and criminal justice. So I've got both ends of the spectrum in high school. I've got ninth graders and I've got uh, juniors and seniors and just ending their high school um, career. And so I, I kind of have the best of both worlds, I, I think. Um, I still have kids that are excited enough to want to help when I ask for, you know, assistance. But I also have kids that are really wise and kind of know the workings of the high school and make my job pretty easy and interesting. Uh, I've been teaching in Fayette County for almost 20 years and um, have loved all of it and have, have just really um, been able to, to, to meet, to get to know and meet great professionals as, as well as students. And I have a pretty close relationship with my kids. <laughs> they all came to church with me on my birthday. So, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, somebody commented, oh, it must be extra credit day. Maybe. But uh, I got them all here. So, yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with my kids. So yeah. I've enjoyed it. So have you been teaching government the whole time? Uh, I taught special education for a little while. I have a master's in that as well. And so I've kind of been able to be flexible in where I'm teaching because of my special ed degree. um, But I really, I would say for uh, three-fourths of my career, have taught government and probably will teach it till I retire. Yeah. What's the, in in this, you know, interesting time with government, what is... What are the discussions that you found that are happening now that haven't happened before that are interesting? I, I think with my students, I think that they're paying more attention to what's happening politically. And I also think that they're, um, we have left the, the generation coming up. I, I told them, I said, we left them some pretty heavy lifting to do with the environment and the political climate and violence in our country and uh, gun control and what's happened in schools, violence in schools, bullying, that kind of thing. Those are largely issues that my generation, which probably includes you, maybe, you're a lot younger than I am, um, we've ignored. And they've got some pretty heavy lifting to do. And 
there's a sense of outrage and disgust that I see among my engaged students um, that I think is healthy. I, mm. I'm glad they need to be maybe a little bit questioning of how, how much wisdom do these old folks really have because they've left us in a pretty big mess. Um, and I think the thing that has surprised my students the most is that what they sense as the will of the people or what the majority wants versus what politicians in Frankfurt and even in Washington, D.C. are doing. It's left them a little bit disillusioned, um, the, the, the shooting that happened at Marshall County um, and the lack of will on the part of the state legislature to do anything about real common sense gun control. I, I'm afraid that might be too political. I don't know if it's too political of a statement, but no. they, it just surprised yeah. them when they're looking at polls that are showing 75 or 80 percent of, you know, Kentuckians want some type of common sense waiting period for guns and that nobody will move on that in the legislature. Um, and then the pension bill, 85 to 90 percent of our students are in public school and um the sense that public school has been devalued by this administration mm -hmm. and this legislature um, has left them pretty incensed as well. Mm. So it's I, I'm heartened by by the young people I see getting involved in politics, and um, I'm hopeful because they're smart and they're going to need to be. Mm. You're able to own up to your generations, our generation's faults and failures and affirm this generation. So have you thought about what helps you to be able to do that, to not take it personally and to, you know, and to kind of straddle these generations? Mm -hmm. What is that like as an educator? Was there? Well, I think part of it comes from working with young people. And, you know, the authenticity is something that you hear a lot. Um, people want people who are authentic and nobody's more authentic than a young person. Nobody has a bigger BS meter than a young person. I really believe that partially is because they don't have anything to lose. And um, I think that they are and they're also brave in a way that, you know, people who have a house payment and, you know, <laughs> Oh, student loans maybe aren't, um, maybe they don't have that, um, sense of why not, mm. um, rather than coming up with all the reasons why not. It's, you know, here's, you know, instead of saying, here's why we're not doing this, young people are like, why not try this? Nothing you have done has worked. And I think working with them has, has been, it's refreshing and, and there's, I mean, there's still a part of me that's always going to be kind of curmudgeon and saying social media is going to be the ruination of this generation. Um, but this is a group of kids that are incredibly engaged and incredibly bright. Mm. And, um, and they're, and like I've said it before, they're going to need to be because I really do believe not to be a doomsday, but the history, this planet, they're, they're going to have to fix it there and they're going to have to fix it sooner rather than later. Yeah. You know? Because our environmental footprint is way too big. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the will to make and big changes that are going to have to be made hasn't been there. No. And so it's it's going to be them. I think they're going to be, as a, his, as a history teacher and somebody who really likes history, they're going to be the second greatest generation. And they're going to do it for the same reason that the greatest generation did. 
because they had to. Hmm. And and I think they will. That's yeah. I'm pretty hopeful. Yeah. Because they're all smarter than I am at math and science. So that's good. <laughs> that and that's good. That's why I'm a history teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's why we need good public schools. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody has a teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but I really did change the way I approached kids. I thought about it. I had a kid in 2009 and his, you want to talk about messy. His life was the messiest life that I had ever really known about as a student, but yet he was this great kid. And I thought, what if I went in a hundred percent? And what if I said, okay, what do you need? Like what, it doesn't matter what it is. What do you need? And is it laundry? I can do laundry. Is it underwear? I can buy underwear. And and so we, you know, my, and my husband was like, "Are we gonna get? Are you gonna get fired for this?" And I thought, "How can I get fired for doing something that fills a need that a kid has?" And um, and I remember thinking, "I have to tell his parents that I'm doing this. Like I can't just do it and hope they don't notice, but that his life gets better." And so I I did. And I said, I, I see this need in your kid, and you have every right to tell me to, to walk away that you don't need your help, you don't need my help, but I would like to do this for him because I think it will make his life better. And um, his father was a little bit hesitant, but his mom was the one who was kind of the messy one. And she said, oh my God, I've waited for somebody like you to help. And... Um, and so it began. And I think because of that and because, and I always say that people, you know, you love people as much as they let you. And he let me do it. And so here we are. And he became a teacher and a coach. Really? Yeah. And he's up in Louisville, but he starts law school in the fall. He's starting law school. Yeah. But he wants to be kind of a street lawyer, which I think is super cool. And kind of had me a voice for the voiceless, but he did, he taught and coached for five years and was great at it and got his master's degree and played baseball. I got to go see him play in some really bad, really bad baseball. He played for a really small team. And, um, but he, yeah, it was great, but he was kind of the first kid that I, and, and I think it, you know, they always say that, you know, what is it when the, let me think if I can think of this, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears and he was my teacher in that way about this is a better way to live. And, and so I, I, yeah, you can't do that with every student, but again, not every, every student needs that. But if kids really believe that you will meet them where they're at or help just, they just kind of need somebody on their side. And that has changed my, that has kind of changed my relationship with my students. Yeah. And, but I'm not their friend, which is I'm, I'm still Miss Cabell, and yeah. there's a really clear division. But um, I'm an adult in their world. But it's been it's been awesome. But it's I don't think it's for every educator. I don't think every educator can or needs to do that. But we were. I told my husband. I said we're kind of the perfect storm. We don't have kids. We're kind of pretty solidly into our middle age. We're a pretty safe space. So it was easy mm. to do. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. My students have taught me. And it's kind of, it sounds really corny to say, oh, they've taught me so much more than I've taught them. They haven't taught me anything more about history or my content area, but they have taught me way a lot more about what it, like what it means to really be genuine 
and sincere when you're trying to help somebody. Mm. They've taught me a lot about that. Mm. I have a hard time separating school and church. If you can tell, like I, yeah, like I really do. It's all together for me in one. Yeah. It's because it's part of my community, I think. Is yeah. I, yeah. I think that's probably the way that it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I mean, I we know. want to be, I, I mean, know. isn't that where we're always looking to find some, you know, to, to do what we, the same grace and love that we talk about at church is what we're supposed to. Right go and be a part of somewhere else. I think so. so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I hope so for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's so there's so many themes that are connected in here, Jody, with your work, with students, with bravery, um, with uh, uh, putting yourself out there, with accepting failure. Um, all of these things are so beautifully woven into something that is... Um, that on its surface feels simple about baseball, you know, and, and I, I love that. And I think that's where the, the beauty of good writing lies. And it feels something, it's something very simple and easy to enter into. And then you start uncovering the layers of it and well, finding thank something, you. <laughs> thank you. something deep beneath it. So, um, thank you so much, Jody, and thank you for sharing this with us. Well, thank you for inviting me, and thanks for this opportunity to have this great conversation. It's been awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Thank yeah, you. It has been. Okay. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Wayfair, and thanks to Jody Cabell for sharing her writing with us. Wayfair is a production of Central Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, a loving and progressive gathering of Christians. You can find out more about us at LexCentral.com. I'm Aaron Austin, and I'll see you next week for another step along the journey.